you've fallen down the rock and roll rabbit hole. All right, welcome to Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole. I'm Kevin Gibson. And I'm Butch Bays. And we are here to do what we always do. We're going to pick a song. We're going to go go down the rabbit hole and, and, and talk about the nuances, the things you may or may not know. And sort of develop a theory of, you know, what's important about this song and in, in what ways. I think that's good. Nuances and nuisances of each Nuisances, song. <laughs> yes, definitely nuisances. But it'll be, hopefully we'll cover some of your favorite songs and uh, we'll definitely get into some of ours because we get to choose after all. That's so. right. It's our show, not yours. <laughs> so tonight's show, before we get into that, we're okay. going to start with the opening ceremonies. Yay. Oh, Woo! Woo! that's more like it there. So this is the uh, a local beer. We always have a beer. Yes, this is from Apocalypse Brew Works, just just by where we're recording right now here at the <laughs> Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Studios. Walking distance. Walking yeah. distance. This is the Irish Rapture Red because oh, we nice. are recording today, the day after St. Patrick's Day. We couldn't go out and spend time with our friends. Could not. Nope. So not tonight allowed. we're staying in and spending time with each other our friends <laughs> yeah so this is a traditional irish red malty ale sort of like a smithix yeah has sort a, of deal has a red look to it it's yeah. very nice. red look at how red that is that was a nice pull thus the name <laughs> so if you're ever in louisville stop by apocalypse brewworks and by the way we are not getting any sponsorship money we are not but, but we we have a long history with apocalypse brewworks good people good friends of ours and when to I, rock and roll, yeah. <laughs> when I bought this wow. uh, today, delicious. I saw the owner and I said, "We're going to put your beer on our podcast," and she was very happy. Was she good? <laughs> good. So <laughs> now we'll get she into didn't our. Do any payola? No, no, uh, no. no this, we're going to work up to that. This is okay, called. Good. This is foreplay. I think that's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh man! I already have to edit. It's something. already gone down. Yeah, started. sorry, sorry. No, good. At least I didn't say the f word. I need a phone book to set on today. All right. I had a really rough day at the cell phone store. I, I heard. I'm, I've got nothing but nervous energy and no preparation, so this will be a good show. Well, if you need a phone book, let me know. I have one. I, I use my phone book all the time, but mostly to smash spiders. <laughs> you know, phone books are going out. someday, fifty years from now. When you say to a kid, "Do you have a phone book?" They'll be like. I don't even They'll look know at their phone is. and be yeah. But no, <laughs> yeah. I use mine to smash spiders. All right. Tonight, we're going to take on a song by one of America's most interesting bands. Most, and, most unusual. And a song that was really a definitive turning point in their career. Uh, definitely a turning point of some kind. Like, it seemed like one thing and maybe turned out to be another. But we're talking about Kiss's wonderful disco hit. I was made for loving you. Yes. Let's do the tale of the tape. <laughs> As I said, the tale of the tape. <laughs> All right, Paul Stanley's I Was Made for Loving You was one of the band's most successful singles, peaking at number 11 yep. on the American Singles Chart. Uh, in 11 countries around the world, it reached the number one or number two position on the charts. Uh, it was the uh, the first Kiss single... To have a disco remix as a seven uh, seven minute fifty four second version released on yeah. uh, a twelve inch single, uh, the album was certified platinum in the United States and double platinum in Canada. 
So Canada was really digging the yeah. disco version of Kiss. Oh, it's Canada. I mean, what, what are you going to do? <laughs> so there's the tale of the tape, sort of the statistics on I Was Made for Loving yeah. You. The back of the baseball cards, we say. <laughs> the back of the baseball card. I like that. Yeah. I like yep. that a lot. <laughs> so what's your gut on Kiss's I Was Made for Loving You, their their disco debacle, according to well, some people? Well, it's... it's Memorable because otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it. And we and, True. and and again as a band we were in a band together called the Uncommon Houseflies. And a few years ago was it three years ago we decided we're gonna we're gonna cover an unlikely song. It was and sort we, of a stroke of genius, I think, to dig this one up. Yes, and we and we chose it and, and we still play it in our set today. And so that's part of why we chose this for the show because we get one of the best reactions of any show we play to this song. Yes, we do. The first it, song we played this ever live was at a festival, and people like crowded around the stage and sang along. Yeah, it's sort of a thing where I feel like those are Kiss fans because a lot of people come to our shows are, you know, rock, they're rock and roll age, fans, and they're rock and roll fans from the classic era. Yep. and this that brings them back to a time I think a simpler time and a, you know. I think that was an, a great time in America for music in a way, even though we were being pulled in a couple directions, right? Yes. Then, right? <laughs> yes. And that's part of why the song exists, I think. And we'll get into that in, in a bit. But my, my thought on the song is that it it sort of, again, short before we get into things, it yeah. sort of proved the staying power of Kiss. Yeah. Because part of our point tonight is, you know, the Kiss audience... There was a backlash. Oh, they were mad. They were angry. They were angry. <laughs> they and were so angry. <laughs> sort of our point is like this could have been the song that killed Kiss, but it didn't. Correct. So, you know, you've got some background on the band. Let's go to that first. Okay, we can do a little background here. Yeah. I've got some interesting little tidbits. I find uh, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons to be very interesting characters, these Definitely. two guys. Definitely. And they are sons of immigrants, which I find very interesting. Uh, actually, Gene Simmons is an immigrant. He was born in Israel. I knew that, but I didn't know he did, was born there? He was born in Israel. Interesting. I, didn't, yeah. I had no idea. His name was Chaim Witz when no. he was born. I, I knew that his parents were. I didn't think he was. No, he was born there, and his mother survived the Holocaust. Her, His mother was one wow. of the few members... Of of his family to survive the Holocaust. I'm so, glad you did this research. Well, yeah, <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. Well, I did. I, I scratched the surface a little bit. Uh, interesting tidbit on Paul Stanley. Okay, I'm going to see if you knew this. There is no, probably not, no way you knew this. Probably not. Paul Stanley was born with a misshapen ear, and he can't he can't really hear out of the one ear. What says you? Did you know that? I had no idea. Yeah, he has trouble. He he's always had trouble judging like where sounds are coming from and stuff like that. And Whoa. yet, right? So, so he was dealing with without ear monitors in the seventies that he had to he had to perform as a performer. Yeah, if you've never dealt with a, with a stage monitor. It's it's, it's not it's, it's not awful. always scientific. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's not always exactly what you want. Wow. That's amazing. So so these two guys, Gene Simmons was dirt poor in Israel. Dirt poor. Yeah. He yeah. he feels like because his mom was a, a good looking woman that they were able to get more towards the front of the line to immigrate to the United States. 
But he remembers they were so poor that he one time he got in a, in a uh, sort of a care package, a sweater with a big hole in it, like a cable knit sweater. But he was so proud of it and wore it all the time and was like so happy wow, with that sweater. And he, he remembers opening a can of peaches that was in a, in a care package. And, and just it was the best thing he ever tasted was peaches a can of free, sweet so. peaches. Yeah. So that tells you where he came from. Yeah. Then here you got Paul Stanley. With his, you know, disability, and these guys overcame to become yeah. monsters of rock and roll. So, wow. uh, you know, I just uh, t- to me, it's interesting the way Kiss sort of built their empire. These two guys had a definite vision. They they didn't want to yeah. be like a good rock and roll band that well and played. You it know, sounds like they were motivated by their sort of. Um, shortcomings if you will humble beginnings quote and unquote yeah. yeah and so like i've heard the joke before that like someone said that kiss is just like really a group of like really loud mimes <laughs> <laughs> loud mimes now there's an oxymoron but that's you. right that's exactly <laughs> what they aren't is, is they were i always thought of them as innovators and marketers exactly they're businessmen as well as you know musicians and right. and they were performers in yes. entertainers yeah good enough know. entertainers that they could sell the product that they had with their moxie with their intelligence and you know i had i was 10 years old and i had a kiss poster on my wall there you go you know and and i mean i i was one of those remote kiss army kids who just thought they were so interesting and so fun and so cool that you know, I they marketed to me, and I was just a Midwestern kid who used to listen to Buddy Holly. And when I heard Kiss and saw them, I just was like, "Wow!" It was taking it to the next level. It was these are the loudest mimes yeah. I've ever heard. <laughs> the loudest mimes, <laughs> crazy. But you know uh, what I'm saying. You know, and you know, you fell for the same. You fell for it too. I absolutely. I don't mean fell for it, but no, you know, you, I'm you, still you, falling for it. Yeah, you know? exactly. I'm discovering Kiss more like preparing for this show was so fun to me. We're not necessarily your your Kiss obsessed people, right? You no. know, we're, there's a lot of those. But there's we're Midwestern of, boys who yeah. grew up in that era. Yes, when and, they first hit the scene. And for my my favorite album was Destroyer. That's the oh, yeah. one that really you know Detroit Rock City and Beth fantastic. and you know I just I, there was just so much on that album that I loved and I just played it over and over. So and cool. I still have my copy of it somewhere. I should have dug it out tonight. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't. It's sorry. A, it, yeah, it's around. But they marketed everything like T-shirts, programs, yes. action figures, yes, lunch boxes. They had a t- made-for-TV movie for Crown and yeah. I and I carved out my night to watch it. <laughs> Did you? And really? I think, as I recall, Gene God, Simmons never. <laughs> Gene Simmons never uttered a line. He was just animal. They called him animal. He was just grunting. I mean, it was you know <laughs> right. His his personification in the videos when he was just sticking his tongue out and I mean you know it was just they really marketed it hard it was it was really interesting. Here's a quote related to the marketing I thought was interesting. Right. Charles Young, associate editor of Rolling Stone magazine, said, "Kiss could send half of Harlem to Harvard on their T-shirt sales alone." <laughs> now that's boy that sums it up. <laughs> yes, but he also got a dig at him and he said it's basically paganism for pubescence. He said <laughs> so. So well, you know, there was the rumor back, you know, back then. It's like, oh, it's because the because you know, growing up in Southern Baptist family, Kiss was like they're evil. They're all oh, yeah. so Kiss was stood stood for kings in Satan's service, right? Well, and you know, well, yeah, I, I remember hearing remember that. that, and like it's well, like 
Yeah, and now I mean, that then wasn't I was hard like, to sell, by the way. It, no, kinda, not not to yeah. a Baptist family, <laughs> well, but like it's it a, seemed plausible. But it, but it helped them. Ironically, I'm sure it helped them. Mm. You know, correct. It, it scared me a little as a kid in a Baptist family, but like at the same time, I was like, man, these songs are so good and they're so cool, and they, you know, I was just like, I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear about that. The whole package was quite interesting. So let's go back a little bit. Let's digress just a little before the kiss time. They had, uh, Gene was in a band. This is another trivial fact I thought was interesting called Bullfrog Beer. And beer was spelled B H E E R, which I have no idea what that's about. That's the worst band name that I've ever heard in my life, I don't think. Yes. (laughs) And uh, Paul Mm. was a cab driver. And he would like, they would practice as Kiss, and then he would have to make a cab run and come back, which I thought was really interesting. Here's another interesting thing I found out Kiss originally dressed and dragged like New York dolls before they saw really? Alice Cooper. Yeah. They dressed as, like, you know, they had that transgender look, or like they. Well, they before they were mimes. Well, you know the look New York dolls has, right? Sure, before yeah, they were absolutely. mimes. That was yeah. their look. I mean, Paul Stanley sort of kept that. He did. With the red lipstick, and he. He, he did. Was, he. He, tra- he sort of was on stage and, and, and in videos and things. He was he was sort of effeminate, just on the edge of effeminate. He always kept that going, which was yeah. kind of like... Which is kind of interesting. It's sort of the David Bowie kind of feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, sort David that, Johansson. You know. Yeah, sort of that I'm, I'm in the middle of the road sort of thing, and you'll never know. You know, <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah. And I, I, know, I know there are two other members of KISS, and I don't want to get totally hung up on Gene and Paul, but Gene was a little too scary for me. The really? spit and blood stuff. The fire thing, okay, was cool. But I don't know. He See, just I, always really... loved, I always loved Gene. Well, no, that's He good. was always my favorite. Yeah. And Paul was maybe a little bit on that side of, of you know, the effeminate side. Or he whatever. was a risque, but but yeah. not sort of scary. Yeah. yeah, but I thought they always looked really cool. That The makeup was great. They devised these characters yeah. were so Peter Chris was the Ringo. Yeah. Yeah, you know. but anyway, uh, let me see. They they saw Alice Cooper. <laughs> yeah, Peter Chris is definitely. Peter's we're we're gonna make a lot of Beatles comparisons tonight. I have a feeling, or I'm going to anyway. So they're so close to the Beatles of the seventies. Very. Just, we'll get so. back to that later. But anyway, after they saw Alice Cooper, they the the thought was, how can we become four Alice Coopers? <laughs> with uh, each with our own, they could have named the band Four Alice Coopers. I think that <laughs> would have been good. <laughs> but anyway, Ace said the music was solid. But the show made up for what the music, whatever the music lacked, yeah. which I thought that was yeah. good. That's probably true. That's fair. It's yeah. fair. But they were originally called Wicked Lester before Kiss. Did you know that? I did not know that. Wicked and, Lester. Yeah, and then well, another uh, terrible band name. Well, true. And then uh, drummer Peter Chris was in a band called Lips, and I think Lips sort of helped yeah. them think about Kiss. You know, the yeah. name Kiss. Paul kind of riffed off of that. So, but anyway, so now we're in Kiss era, right? Yeah. And their first three albums. Uh, they're self-titled. Well, they, they, yes. people say eponymous all the time now, but I call yeah. it self-titled. That's the same thing. <laughs> Kiss, thing. then Hotter Than Hell, yep. then Dress to Kill. Dress to Kill. Each of those albums were said to have marginal production. Not they didn't sound great, mm-hmm. but they didn't they didn't sell very well. So they were sort of languishing a little bit, and Casablanca Records was was starting to kind of lose their footing and maybe go broke. And uh, they were living on Bill, their manager, Bill O'Coin's uh, uh, credit card. And then they came out with Kiss Alive. And Kiss oh, Alive yeah. went crazy. 
and made them a ton that was of the one money. that broke them forever yeah. yeah that made them they were made then they had they had a career you know so but now we're getting up on this time you know they had uh, right. probably six albums before they went disco yep can we say they went disco well, let's get into that later. They dipped can, a big toe in disco. They they did, and I, and I've got some research that I okay, that, that we, want, we want to discuss. So all right, I got one more Paul Stanley quote I want to get in here yeah, that I thought might it. blow your mind. Paul Stanley talking about their kind of their 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 stage show and the way they looked. He said he called it HR puffin stuff on ice. <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard that. I mean, crazy. But I do remember HR Puff and stuff. And yeah. If you're younger, you don't know what we're talking about, go look it up. Google it. Uh, yeah. Google knows what HR Puff and stuff is. But be warned, when you Google HR Puff and stuff, you're going to feel like you're on an acid trip. It's cause it late is a 60s weirdness. Weird. Yeah. And it explains a lot about why we're so goofed up. In yes, and why we're doing this at all. So what do you got there for me? So, I'm up? going to the song more than the... right. Band. So yeah. we come up to the album Dynasty, and Kiss is on top yeah. of the world. They've got yeah. two stages. They play on one. Their crew is setting up another one in another town. Yeah. They've got all kinds of like drum risers and pyrotechnics, and they become like the biggest thing in rock and roll. The biggest thing in, in the seventies, and, and then we get to Dynasty, and so then, <laughs> in 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 the the misperception, I think is that. They just said, we're going to capitalize on disco. We're just going to make a disco song and just sell it. And I think that it was less of a marketing ploy, more of an accident that became like, oh, let's ride this out. Based on what I've read, based on well, what I researched. I feel like at that time, disco was going crazy. I think yes. there was one time when the Bee Gees had five out of the top ten yes. singles on the chart. Yep. So it tells you that that disco was like, you know, taking all the air out of the room at the time. Yes. And, and there was a lot of pressure on rock And bands, if you're a Led you know. Zeppelin fan or even like an Eagles fan or whatever, yep. you're just like, we, how can our bands actually get back on the radio? Because this is all that's dominating radio. Correct. And so, yeah. my understanding, so the song was written by Paul Stanley and they wrote internally, but it also was co-written by Desmond Child. The producer. Of the album, and, correct? Yeah. Right. And this was a guy who went on to write a song that, that, that we we love. Um, you give love a bad name. Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. <laughs> nice. And he also <laughs> Did wrote... Did he really? He was on that. He huh? also wrote Living on a Prayer. Or oh, Cobra. ooh. Big, and big he songs. also wrote another song we love. What do we got? Um, <laughs> I Hate Myself for Loving You by Joan Jett. Wow. So we, we're, we're Desmond Child fans that didn't know it. But guess what? What? The only reason he had those opportunities was because he met Paul Stanley. Yeah. And he brought a song in. Paul Stanley said, I've got, you know, I've got this melody. I've got this idea for a song. And Desmond Child came in and they sat on a piano in the, in a, during a break, during a practice session. Yeah. And they wrote that song. They wrote the beginnings of that song. Wow. And so Desmond Child, he credits, he's, he's like, if I had never met Paul Stanley and done that, he's like, Paul Stanley connected him with Bon Jovi, connected him with Joan Jett's people. Really? And he so, enjoyed a long songwriting career and producing career because of that. That's insane. It's, now, I hear he, he uh, I think he produced 
Peter Chris's solo album when they did the four solo album. Probably did, yeah. Which immediately preceded like the Dynasty yep. era. So and he yeah. and he like he was connected with the band for years to come. He produced their uh, Unmasked album. Oh, okay. And yeah. co-wrote Pretty like well half of it. Too. I mean, yeah. like, he wrote yeah. a lot of that stuff. Um, huh. So the the producer of the song in question, I was made for loving you. Yeah. Was a guy named Vinnie Poncia. Poncia. Oh, that's who I'm thinking of. Yeah, different guy. That's Vinny Poncia was the producer on Poncia. the on the Peter Chris. Yeah, Poncia yeah. was on the okay, Peter so, Chris album. But okay. he 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 had writing credit for the Ronettes, Tommy James, um, and Ooh. he also co-wrote uh, Leo Sayers. This is Poncia. You yeah. make me feel like dancing. So that was Leo Sayers sort of delving into disco, A little disco action. And so. Sure. He was dabbling into disco in the late 70s, and he also helped, eventually helped write Kisk's Unmasked album in the 80s with, with uh, Paul? Desmond Child. Oh, so, oh, Desmond, yeah. So they, they became like, so. The they song, became a brain trust, all these yeah. people. <laughs> so the song comes into the band, Stanley brings it into the band. Yeah. And guess who hates it immediately? Uh, I can imagine who hates it, but I think it was generally hated. Okay, who was number one? Well, I mean, in the band. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Generally hated in the Gene band. Simmons hated it. Did he really? Yeah. And he he hated the idea of singing in falsetto. Oh. Do, do, do. Which, yeah. when we play it on stage, we do, and I don't much enjoy it, except <laughs> I play it, we play it for laughs. Yeah. Because yeah. we're old guys that don't need to be singing that. You know, but, we play it for laughs, but I also really enjoy the song. I love, no, I love, I, I love playing it in general. I'm a fan, yeah. But singing that part is hard. It is hard. <laughs> so, he, in a in an interview a few years ago with OK Magazine, Simmons related this he, when when paul brought it in he was like he loved the lyrics at first uh, it was sexual and you know and all the yeah and uh it has very kiss like uh lyrics oh sure. definitely and that was mostly paul most of the melody was was uh was uh, desmond child oh okay so but he he his, his recollection was he said oh, you're killing me really you want me to sing on my grandmother <laughs> and so, and he, and then, and then Desmond Child later told a Tennessean uh, out of Nashville, you know, that Gene, quote unquote, always hated it from beginning to end, hated, hated, hated. Really? From end to end, yeah. huh? Oh my gosh. So crazy. I know Ace Fraley and, and Peter Chris had a heart to heart on it. He's like, what are we now? Fucking disco. That's what Ace was saying. You know, like, that was the yeah. whole movement then, you yeah. know? And so, yeah. well, you know, Rod Stewart was doing some disco. Yes. I mean, it, it was, you know, it you wasn't know, like, that. But the Bee Gees were a pop band in the late 60s, or early 70s, and they went 100% full of disco and made their money that way. Well, made their I, hay. Yeah, I think they, they I think uh, they never considered their self to be a disco band, the Bee Gees. They, but, like, the style of the day was their right. style, which, which was disco music. Yep. But I guess Paul was hanging out at Studio 54 in those places, and he thought, how hard can it be to make a song like that? You yep. know? And he's watching those go up the charts while they're languishing wherever they were. And yep. And it had to, to be tempting. According to Desmond Child, it was his idea to bring in, let's do a disco, or not a disco, but a dance beat, R&B right. dance beat, and then put heavy guitars over it so it's still a Kiss song. The, the guitars are great in that they're song. They're fantastic. They're really cool. It's still hard rock, but... 
the dance beat is what turned their fans off at the time. Well, they kind of like extinguished the 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 flame of all those uh, original Kiss Army fans, like the older Kiss fans that were yep. sort of like you know older teenagers and twenties. Yeah. And they were, I mean, there was like, there were demonstrations like Disco's yeah. dead, you know, people wanted to kill Disco at the time yeah. and they were very angry about it because it kind of wiped rock and roll off the radio. Yep. So to those people, this was just total poison exactly, and kryptonite and they, they left Kiss, just left Kiss right away. They just right. thought it's not for me they anymore. They thought they were like part of this awful like trend of everyone's going disco and there's no more rock and roll. Sold out yeah. the whole deal. And so they left and a whole new legion of fans came in for this for this especially the one song. Uh like kids, little kids. Yeah. And so like Paul Stanley was telling a story about during the Dynasty tour, they played the LA Forum. And he was staying in a hotel across from the L.A. Forum. And he was, and I just can picture this. He's looking out the window at the crowd coming into the stadium, which that was a, I think that tour started out as pretty good selling touring yeah. and dwindled down or something. But anyway, it was, it was uh, families with their kids. And he wow. realized, oh, no. It looked like the line to the circus, he said. <laughs> it could have been the line to the circus. That's crazy. I've never heard that before. That's little bitty amazing. kids dressed up. you know, Line like to the circus. Yeah, wow. it was like that. But he just <laughs> he just realized, oh, no, we made a big mistake. you know. And it's, it, it, it was a huge radio hit. Right. I think it was their biggest hit ever. And so they sold all these records, and everybody thought that Kiss was going to become, like, go to the next level and be even bigger. But somehow, yeah. they sabotaged themselves. This song got huge. They got this whole new bunch of fans. But then when the next album, Unmasked, which you already mentioned, came yep. out, then those fans were gone already because yep. there wasn't another... And it became the, the Golden Albatross. Well, there you go. <laughs> and, and Simmons, to this day, hates performing it. And they, they tour it up until you know, recent Do they years. still have to play it? I mean, I guess. Yeah, or? I think that when I read, they used to encore with it. Really? They would play their show, and then they would come out and encore with it and... Huh. And Gene, you know, like hated it to, to the. It's very funny end. though that they kept playing it, and I think that uh, is a testament to something uh, else. But you have to if it's the Gold Albatross. Well, it's a huge song. You know, yeah, it's a big radio song. You know, everybody so knows the, it's it. the the My Sharona. We we talk about this on another one of our shows. Yeah. It's a lot of bands have that, but they they found out that I would know what I what I've observed. Here's something I've observed that. Fans of Kiss that might have been turned off by that song back in the day now have embraced that song. Did you notice that at all? No, but I, oh, I mean, older Kiss fans now they're like, uh, now I gotta say I like that album. How can I like you that not song. If you love Kiss, <laughs> and because I, I I go back and I look at what I've read is that that it was another freaking fantastic marketing move. You know, Desmond Child came in and said, "Let's try this," and Paul was like, "Yeah, let's let's try it. Why not?" So I, I sort of want to think of this song and, and this idea that they were almost parodying themselves. You know, the the Beatles when they recorded back in the USSR were sort of parodying the time and the popularity of the Beach Boys and the you know sort of that competition they had with the Beach Boys and it was very much a kind of a parody song. Um, I sort of feel like in some small way. Kiss was sort of parodying the time 
while also putting their own stamp on it. They definitely put their stamp on it. If you get into the lyrics of the song, it's it's it's, it's very all much a kiss. kiss song. Yeah, it's just got that backbeat, that R and B disco backbeat. Yeah, that kind of that turned people off. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's again, it's fun to play, but I can understand why people at the time. You know, when I was a kid, I I wasn't that aware of. When I heard it, I was like, okay, it sounds like a lot of other stuff, but it still sounded like Kiss to me. I didn't pay that right. much attention to it. Well, it had some very rocking guitars in it. Some oh, great yeah, solos exactly. by Ace Fraley sounded amazing. Yep. But I, I kind of go back to these internal struggles in the band, which they were they were already starting to crack apart at this point. The There was a rift between the Gene and Paul faction and the Peter, Chris, and Ace Fraley uh uh, faction people have identified the the two factions in the band as the hard workers and the hard livers. <laughs> so it, Paul and Gene being the hard workers, you know that I I admire those guys for how hard they pursued what they wanted. Well, again, they were the marketing genius. Yeah, and then uh, Peter, Chris, and Ace Frehley by this time are starting to it, you know have substance abuse problems yeah. and personal problems to the point where. Uh, Peter Chris wasn't he didn't really even play on the Dynasty right. album. I don't right. believe maybe one track. They or had something. A, they had like yeah. a session musician come in. But anyway, so Paul is fighting for this song, this sort of disco song or whatever, with yeah. Desmond Child and who's the producer? I can't think of. Um, them. It was uh, Vin, Vinny uh, Poncia. Vinny Poncia. They're all fighting for this song. So then it it streaks up the charts to number 11 yeah. they sell a billion albums makes them a lot of money right makes them a lot of money Still they probably money on it. Yeah. yeah probably for a while they look like geniuses they yeah. probably look like oh see you know that that's what we but then but it just it yeah. pulled the foundation out from under the band the albatross it yeah. it just like yeah. it messed them up you yeah. know so but anyway here's a, here's one evidence i eddie trunk is the guy i follow on youtube he does podcasts and stuff uh, and serious radio i really like him but He's a big Kiss fan. He said on the Dynasty tour, they played two nights in Madison Square Garden, which is a big deal. That's the big place, right? Right. The next year on the Unmasked tour, they played only one show in America, and it was the Palladium in New York, a 3,000 capacity uh, theater. 3,000 seats. Telling. That's telling. Yeah. One year later. One year later, they went from two nights... At Madison Square Garden, the big deal to a 3,000-seat capacity. And they went to Australia after that. And they used the same Dynasty backdrop and whatever. Yeah. You know, there's been complaints about the wardrobe on the Dynasty tour. They kind of brought in more color. Paul had some kind of three-layered kind of lavender, you know, thing. and. And they all just looked a little ridiculous right then. I think they... Well, know. and it's funny, like, you know, that that sort of... Uh, they were sort of the, the... The convention is that when they recorded I Was Made for Loving You, they jumped the shark. And that was the thing that, that Fonzie made popular just right before that, right around that time. <laughs> you know, That's actually a quote that I was, want, I was hoping would come up. Jumping yeah. the shark. They really did. Uh, here's Here's quotes by Paul here. Uh, we had we had new costumes. Uh, I had a layered lavender top. We had sanitized ourselves and extinguished the fire that had propelled us to that point. Yeah. We stayed in a hotel across from the forum. He tells the story about. He said, "I broke into a cold sweat when I saw families and children coming yeah. in." You know, so you know. He said we were in an Elvis bubble at the time. People people literally opened doors for us. 
new hires by management were told what you could and couldn't say to each member. Like they were on top of the world, you know, like uh, he said, Dynasty wasn't a rock album or what wasn't a rock album, but we weren't a rock band anymore. We were a bunch of rich guys that lacked a primal spirit. He said, wow. Isn't that wild? That is. uh, Well, (laughs) so around that time, uh, Rolling Stone magazine writer, David Fricky wrote, uh, the Kiss Army, when when the single first came out, and this was before that, yeah, he said he wrote the Kiss Army is going to mutiny when they hear "I Was Made for Loving You," the disco inflected leadoff track on the Masked Marvels latest album. They'll Masked de- Marvels, the Masked Marvels. <laughs> They'll demand to know why they're heroes after years of rallying the troops in the battle against disco and other threatening schlock <laughs> have turned tail and joined forces with uptown. Popsters like producer Vinnie Poncia and singer Tunesmith Desmond Child. Wow. So Wow. The the critics immediately jumped on him and, and just destroyed him and that just helped fuel the 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 draining of that of the, of that popularity and <laughs> it was devastation, yeah. you know, really. I don't want to come across though as a guy that didn't succumb to the uh, enchanting uh, uh, you didn't I, drink the Kool-Aid? What? no or you did no 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 here's what I'm saying I'm not a kiss guy I'm coming from the outside right, right? but I'm not going to say I wasn't somewhat enamored by the disco era because at what age were we when this was all going on we, we were, were about 14 12 no, I was, I was, we were younger we were 10 11. okay but anyway uh I, I, you know, that was like what older people were getting into, and and you know, like uh, yeah, no, that's what was on the radio at the time. It didn't I'm make my you, radar. It didn't offend me. Disco. I've, at the I've time. got, I've got disco records, Casey and the Sunshine records from when I was a kid that I bought. Well, there you go. And I, I had a disco compilation, still, like a K-Tel deal. And yeah. I still am okay when I hear a Casey and the Sunshine album. You know, I don't, I don't hate it. Do I hate what it did to rock and roll after the fact? Yeah. There you go. That's a good point, and that's fair. But I just, you know, I mean, disco sounded pretty good to me because it was just kind of a, a, a you know. It was new. It was new, and it was different. Yeah. It, those kind of yeah. beats and, and things sounded really interesting. And you would see people dancing on every yep. TV show to disco. And it was kind of like, oh, that's what older people do. They look cool doing yep. that. and. Yep. So I don't want to come off as like this disco hater. I really am not to this day a disco hater. I love rock and roll a hundred times more, but disco is also something that's kind of fun yeah. to me. So I want to get back quick. Just I want to circle back just a little bit to this sort of idea that that disco was at its apex. Yes, when this song came out. It was perhaps even starting to die at this point because <laughs> it was the, too big. The whole thing that Gene Simmons hated this song, right? I really got interested in that he was the one guy in the song in, in the band that was just like, "I hate this. I don't want to do this." So I went and watched the video. Today. I wasn't quite aware of that. Okay, I went and watched the video. Did you look for visual cues? <laughs> I did. <laughs> okay. So what'd you come up with? <laughs> I watched the video. And Gene Simmons was who was a backing vocal, right? He and Fraley were both backing backing vocalists. I always right. liked their backing vocals because you could yeah. tell who it was. It wasn't like Paul singing back up right. for himself. Go ahead, yeah. Right. So, if you watch the video, so like you know the the single version was like three plus minutes or whatever, three and a half minutes. Right, right. 
In no part of that video can you clearly see Gene singing the do 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 part. Really? In no part. And when <laughs> when they show him during that part, he's mugging for the camera with his tongue. Sticking his tongue out, yeah. He's playing you know, he's playing his bass and going. Angrily, you know? angrily. But yeah. at no point in that video do you clearly see him doing that. That's pretty darn it. And I wonder if he said after the fact, do not show me playing that. Well, he's singing that. He probably just didn't sing it in the video or something like that. I'm not saying he didn't sing it, but I I wonder after the fact, because in the video, he does sing backing vocals on the chorus. I was made for Oh, yeah. yeah. He does, clearly. Right. It shows him many times, but at no no point, when they're doing the do-do-do, when it cuts to him, he's mugging for the camera and not singing. So you never see Gene Simmons doo-doo. In the video, he never do do's once. <laughs> never do. He might have do do'd in the breaks. <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. I mean, but in that while, well, I think it's interesting. You know, band dynamics are always that way. There's always something yeah. going on that turns it up. You know, and so yeah. And I think it was you know the the writing was on the wall for Peter, Chris, and Ace Fraley. They they ended up out of the band very soon after, yeah. and. You know, Peter Chris first and then Ace later. And there's been a bunch of going back and forth at each other uh, in books since then yep. and everything. But they did reunite in the 90s for a big, you know, victory tour. Yep. And I sort of wish this last go around the farewell tour could have featured Peter Chris and Ace Fraley, you know, making appearances of some kind. I I would have really enjoyed that, but yep. I guess it just wasn't to be. There's just too much baggage these days. I think, so, by all accounts, Ace Fraley straightened up by now, and Peter Chris I seems hope so. to be doing I mean, well. <laughs> they, I mean, they made each other better, you know. So, one more trivial thing before we move on to like a final point. Okay, and good. Yeah. Wrap this up. <laughs> so, in that video, which I watched today. All right. So, at about the one forty-two mark, they get into the. Wow, that's very specific. They go. Uh, you know me. I watch these videos <laughs> no, and good. I pay attention. <laughs> They get into the second verse, which when we play the song, you play the you sing the first verse, I sing the second verse. Yeah, makes very and so good sense. So one of the things to me that's hard when I get there on stage live, when I'm playing the the notes and trying to get to the end, is you know I sometimes get to that point and I'm, I can't forget what to sing in the second half of that verse of is she made for loving me or am I made for loving her? Oh. Do you think it's calculated in some kind of way that <laughs> No. Uh, what I'm saying is I feel better because in in the video, ah. in the official video, okay, in the second verse, yeah. Paul visibly mouths, "Girl, I was made for you." When the lyric actually is, "Girl, you were made for me." But it wasn't edited out. I got to watch it now. So, in effect, in the video in that line, he literally mouths the phrase, "Girl, I was made for me." Fire the continuity. I was made for he me. He says, I was made for me. And then he gets the second line right. Okay, now. And they didn't edit it out. Now. They didn't change it. I think we've come to, like, figure it all out now. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot to be said about the line. I was made Go watch for it. me. Go watch it. Girl, Paul, I was made for me. Yeah. Paul might have written this song as I was made for loving me, baby. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that guy, I I'm mean, just saying. he projects this kind I'm of vanity. Yeah. If you watch it, you will you clearly see he said, girl, I was made for loving me. <laughs> but then he gets the second line right. So it was like, why didn't they film it again? Did they not? Did he not tell the director 
And they just didn't, and it was like too late. Because they filmed that, they had a, a show canceled for some reason, and so they filmed two videos because wow. they had the stage. Huh. And that was one of them. And that right. was early before the album was released. Well. And maybe they just did it quickly, and he didn't say, he didn't think about it, he didn't remember it. He just probably said, no one will notice. They won't, they won't notice. Nobody's yeah, paying that. I guess you noticed. Time. Yeah, you noticed. <laughs> I like it. No, or I think better you crack, or worse. You cracked the whole code. It's a song about loving yourself, maybe. Maybe so. it's just narcissism. Narcissism. Yeah. Who knows? All right, I got one more Paul Stanley quote I want to get in okay. before we conclude the, the and then uh, I've got, I've got Then I've got my, my final kind of uh, Good. theory. If you have like some kind of closing thoughts, that's good. This will be something I, that you probably haven't thought of. I have so. none. I, my, gen, I'm generally blank, generally. So <laughs> I probably haven't. You've had a hard day. You yes, that, yeah. I had a really hard day. But anyway, uh, here's a Paul Stanley quote I thought was interesting. When I heard I was made for loving you coming through the speakers in the studio, I was blown away. Sure, it wasn't Detroit Rock City or Love Gun, but it was undeniable. It was universal. Something that grabbed you the first time you heard it, which I agree. Yeah. And he said, was it calculated? Yes. Was it calculated to succeed? Yes. So that's from Paul Stanley's book. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, you can't blame a band for trying to get a hit. Everybody was trying to survive then. It's like yeah. the hair bands well, in, in the roll, 90s. They had to do roll, something. Rock and roll was sort of dying. or So they thought. It probably looked and, really and bad. Right really there. is a great segue into what i'm going to say <laughs> it's great segue. nice when that works out dude. it is because well, we did not plan this we <laughs> no. purposely don't talk to each other before the shows we do this very much live we don't want this to appear stale like as a no. second rehashing of something we surprise so, each other every show well, so. always good <laughs> all right so what you got <laughs> 1979 about six weeks or so after that song came out okay there was an event that happened uh, at Comiskey Park in Chicago. The disco the great, sucks. Great disco demolition night. Right. They sold 50-cent beer, and they promised in the seventh-inning stretch they were going to blow up stacks and stacks of disco records. I've seen video of that. And that was mayhem. Mayhem. Yes. Well, so here's the thing. Okay. They, when the explosion happened, all right. The fans of Chicago White Sox, they were anti-disco fans. The White Sox were drawing no one. That's why. Oh, so there the weren't team, baseball yeah, fans there. There were anti-disco. Were anti-disco. Fans. Bill yep. Veek was the owner, and he was known for his crazy promotional ideas. He's like, we got to get some money in the stands to buy beer. So free hot dogs wasn't enough. It's it was you had beer. to blow up disco. So records. he got yeah. thirty thousand people drunk. And then blew up a bunch of disco records in front of people who hated disco. It sounded like a good time as a theory. (laughs) So there's a museum of that night because it was so culturally significant. Whoa. With the the disco hatred leading up to it. Whoa. That it became a museum in New York. Literally. A museum of disco sucks night? Yeah. There's literally a small museum of it. And this curator has researched it and... He has all of the quotes and the photos and the footage and people were arrested and whatnot. I knew so, it went really, really wrong, but I didn't well, know that it was, yeah. And he is, he is said to, he, he told, I think the Chicago Tribune, he said, that was, that song was the moment that Kiss jumped the shark. And that was in May. It came out in May of, of uh, 1979. Right. And this event happened in July of 79. 
Whoa. And he thinks, this curator thinks that, and I've forgotten his name. Sorry, I didn't have it in my notes. I don't know why. But <laughs> he, he said he, he thinks that, that that song kick-started the anti-disco revolution to its end. It was like when they jumped the shark, literally. It brought it to a crescendo? Right. It became the last straw. Oh, because now you've sucked in one of the great rock bands. Exactly. You've, Maybe the biggest band in the world. Killed it. He said yeah. he thinks that it, it made people hate disco to the point that they revolted. And they were angry people. And he, and he so were. he feels like this song, the release and the popularity, because it was by, by mid to late June, it was a huge hit. Oh, yeah. Three huge. weeks, two or yeah. three weeks before this happened. Wow. He thinks it was maybe the the, the jumping off point. So Paul the, Stanley's the watching Keystone. families and kids go into the forum as they're blowing up records exactly. in Chicago. <laughs> and the keystone was, that made all the rocks fall off the mountain wow. was that song. And so, so here's the question. That's interesting as all. Here's our know. finishing question. Right? Did this disco quote unquote song help inadvertently kill disco? Because it turned rock and rollers against it to the point that literally, Butch, literally, by November, December of that year, uh, Disco had finally been pushed off the top of the church by wow. another band we've covered, The Dak. Wow. My Sharona was the top of the charts by. Man, we need to tie these. We can tie these episodes together so well, right? <laughs> but that song may have inadvertently wow. pushed. The Knack, who was with that fantastic guitar solo yeah. to the top. Interesting. Without, I mean, it's well, like almost like they, Kiss alienated their own fans for a short time, for a couple of years, three years. Now they're legends again. Yeah. But it helped usher in rock and roll again. And then Led Zeppelin came back to the charts. And then the Eagles came back to the charts. And so then, sort of like this, every action has an equal and opposite reaction type There's a theory thing. for that, yeah. So maybe maybe Kiss did help bring Disco down. Uh, and so we maybe have they no should evidence. be thanked. We should be thanking Kiss to for bring this rock song, and roll back. You just don't know. I mean, and this is just one uh-huh. one one curator's you know sort of <laughs> theory. But I think it's oh. really something interesting to look at and to think about. Because literally... Three or four months later, rock and roll, the, the first time rock and roll was back on the charts in several years, happened because of the knack and my Sharona happened at the right time when people were just like so tired of disco. Right. And you could almost credit Kiss for giving the knack. Maybe they did it. That, that <laughs> chance at greatness, you know, even though they were a two hit wonder, you know, or whatever. But yeah, good enough. <laughs> I don't know. And, and Chris, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge knack fan, and anyone who. This is this podcast knows that, but this is what I uncovered, and and it, I didn't connect all that as much as the trail led me there. And they were like, right. you know, by the end of the year, then rock and roll is back. I was like, oh, and the first rock and roll song to be back on top was the Knack. So crazy, man. I connected the trail to that. Quite point. interesting. Yeah, it, it brought ushered in a whole new era of rock and roll, and, and it did, and and and, 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 and then the eighties became. A mix of rock and roll and new wave, but still, it was True. a lot more rock and roll than what was happening in with you know in with Donna Summer. <laughs> Sorry, <Right>. but you know. <laughs> well, sure. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. Yes, I think we've, thank you. We've covered a lot of ground here about this song, and I think it's starting. We're starting to weave this tapestry of what rock and roll has been about yeah. by all these episodes. We're, we're going to become 
become experts ourselves eventually on eventually. Like how it all plays. By the together. time we die, we'll yeah, we'll, be well maybe so. But I want to <laughs> get on the record before the camera dies. I think yeah, it's about to it. go. But that uh, I am a fan of this song. I like this song. Yes, I'm, I'm, you know, I, it's uh, it, hey, we it's, wouldn't it's we really wouldn't cool. cover it in our show if we didn't love it. We would not. But I but you haters out there of this song, I, I understand that too. Uh, Kiss is just a very interesting band. Uh, the whole, you know, kind of tying together this marketing with with you yeah. know pretty darn good rock and roll hooks and yeah. everything over the really years. Loud mimes, yeah. And <laughs> there you go, loud mimes. But anyway, that I would say that concludes another uh, episode of the Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole. Please uh, follow us for future uh, future yeah. episodes and like and Click subscribe and, and like and all, all that, that good, good stuff. stuff. And we hope to see you again very very soon with another very soon another uh, drill down and another beer and another beer or right on two or two. <laughs> Cheers, folks. See ya. <laughs>